Welcome to Marketgy, the science of marketing strategy, a bi-weekly podcast where all the cool marketers discuss their favorite marketing strategies, study by study. On this show, we feature marketing risk takers who believe long-term wins for the customer equal long-term wins for the business too. How? Human-led marketing. The combination of where science, creativity, and strategy meet, or as we also like to call it, Marketgy. Let's break down the marketing trends, myths, and methodologies together. I'm your host, Leanne Dowweimer. Let's go. On this episode of Marketgy, I'm joined by Carol Tran, growth hacker, keynote speaker, vice president of growth, and chief growth officer. Carol will share with us what a growth hacker is, how important it is to organizations and marketing teams, and how growth hacking is a key strategy in 2023. Let's dive in. Hi, I'm Leanne Dow Weimer, and I'm joined today by Carol Tran, serial entrepreneur, has an agency under her own name, Carol Tran. She is a growth hacker, a fractional growth officer, a CMO fractional. She has worked for both legacy companies like Oracle, Morgan Stanley, Dolby, and startups that have grown into big names like Zenny Optical. Carol, thank you for joining me. Tell us more about you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share my experience and also how I got to here because of all the amazing people I've crossed paths with. And so my background is unusual because I didn't expect myself to become a growth hacker. I don't think you go to school for growth hacking and back in the days. So I actually, in college, I focus on neuroscience and theater and ended up going to law school and business school. But how I came about that was an interesting journey through, you know, my parents desiring me to be a doctor or a lawyer. And so instead of going and pursuing what I wanted to do, which is to be an actress, which I only did for about a year before we settled and agreed that I go to law school. And upon going to law school, I ended up doing the MBA program and uh, started a business because that's was one of the projects. And in that course, I did end up getting A, but I also was able to sell that business, which was only meant to solve a problem that was the main issue of the you know class project. And it was a parking app. And that was my first journey in becoming an entrepreneur. Nowhere in my background did I take any business courses, any econ. It's mostly science and obviously law. And then I did acting. And so I started a second business based on, you know, just me solving another problem, but no intentions of starting a business to begin with. And then I started another third business and, and that's how it started out. I was on my path working at law firms and I didn't really expect me to do a pivot into becoming a growth hacker. So, but if you look at your journey of where you are, it doesn't have to be a straight line. It's not the mentality of the traditional way where this is where you go to school and this is exactly what you're going to become for the rest of your life. Your life is very finite and it's, you know, short and you want to live the fullest. And I think the people who have not a straight line, you know, experience are the ones who have actually insight and a bit able to catch blind spots that most individuals only focus on one path. Now, it doesn't mean it's bad that you have a one path, like one way and you already knew since you were a child that you wanted to be in a certain role, then you're gifted in that aspect. But those who have different experience and, you know, can bring a lot to the table. And because at the end of the day, businesses are about people. And if you can understand people and their dynamics, different, you know, how they are living their lives and you having experienced different 
different aspects of, you know, that isn't traditional, you're able to understand things and be able to serve them better. So that's how my journey and my background is to this day. Like, I think I pull a lot from my theater background, as well as my neuroscience and, you know, law in my business pursuits as a growth hacker. And because you think about it, acting is about imitation of human behavior. And if you're able to imitate it, but you have to understand why did they pause? Why do they blink a lot? Why do they hesitate? Those ums and, you know, stuttering or any of these little mannerisms, you have to live in those shoes of those characters. And if you understand them in that dynamic and be able to repeat and demonstrate as an actor, you're able to see that. And then neuroscience is understanding the neurological you know, way the body works and, you know, what are the limitations of human, you know, capabilities or what can be overcome by certain things that the human body, you know, you didn't think is typical, but we can overcome certain things because the mind is so powerful. And then looking at law, you take all those human behaviors and understand there's certain boundaries and structures in each society, in each country, in each city, in each state. And those are what the laws you have to buy to. So you have to go within these fine, you know, boxed, rigid boundaries. And can you go outside the box? What are the repercussions of that? And then business is basically, how do you monetize all this? Because everybody needs your skills. They need your ability to build something that makes their lives easier. So the world is like abundant of a lot of things. And so that's my background and how I arrived to it. I never imagined that I would be here, but it is something that is a collective of all my interests into one. And that's more of my, my background today. Love it. There's so much that resonates with me. And, you know, I think you summarized it perfectly that, you know, you have all these different kind of frameworks and then how do you monetize that? How do you make that into revenue? And speaking of like revenue and growing, you mentioned growth hacker a couple of times. What is and what isn't a growth hacker? Well, the term is growth hacker, you know, started out with, you have to give credit to Sean Ellis, who started that term in 2010. It might be even earlier, but that was when it was caught wind all over online. And it was because of the successes of everything he's done in, in the startup world. And so, but then, you know, growth hacking started taking off a little bit, and then it was defined as more growth marketing. And then individuals thought growth marketing had to do with paid ads, or maybe it was social media influencer marketing. It's all of that, but I feel like growth hacking has been sort of dissected in so many ways because the semantics people don't understand it. And so they finally had a light bulb when they actually understood a part of it, and then they carried on with that definition. Now, Growth Hacker still exists. And even if you go to Sean Ellis's like LinkedIn page, you can see he wrote a him and his business partner wrote a blog post about, you know, what his intentions was when he had the term growth hacker. Now, everybody has their own definition and it's because they leverage their own skill sets. But I still try to pay true homage to how Sean Ellis named it. And the fact that it's matured this much over many years, the word growth hacker doesn't have to say the word hacker at all. It has matured in such a way it has grown respect and people just use the word growth. That's it. They just drop the word. And that's completely amazing that people can respect it as its own. However, growth hacker is the best way I can describe is it's not just solely marketing. So growth hacker is look at your business as a ship. 
And the growth hacker is the compass and map to the captain of the ship. And the captain of the ship doesn't have to be the founder or the CEO. It could be for that week, it could be the VP of engineering. It could be a director of, you know, product who is, you know, up there sailing the ship. So if you're only looking at growth hacking as just marketing, then what you're saying is that your whole ship, which is your business, Queen Mary, the big, gigantic, big ship is only going to move because the marketing is going to paddle this in gigantic ship forward to the North Island with a pot of gold. You can't just depend on one department to say, I'm going to rely my livelihood and ability for this ship to move forward by having marketing, you know, paddle their way so we can go forward. That's not how you're supposed to be looking at the business. You're supposed to looking at the business as a whole. So parts of the business is finance, engineering, customer success, product, recruiting is part of growth hacking as well. And of course, marketing. And there's other departments as well, depending on your industry. So when you're looking at growth hacking, as a growth hacker, you are the compass in the map of the, of, to the captain of the ship or the entire ship. And that means is that how are you going to sail your ship to the North Island with a pot of gold? That's your destination. Now, you have no landmarks around you. You see a bunch of other ships around you, maybe. And those are your competitors. And then you see sharks popping up here and there. So don't get distracted by those things. But if you're in the sea, in the ocean, and there are no landmarks, how do you know what's north, west, east, south? You have to make micro decisions in order to hit your three, six, nine, 12 month goal. We always have to, you know, create our that, you know, three, six, nine, 12 month goal. But yet people neglect what decision are you making today? What are decisions are you making tomorrow, this week, next week, in order to actually achieve that three-month goal because those micro decisions adds up to you achieving that three-month goal. And many times I have seen a lot of individuals say, well, you know, to their CEO or direct, you know, managers, we didn't hit it because we were testing and these things. But your decisions that adds up was missing the mark the entire time. And so in order to do that, you have to understand that you only make the best decision based on the knowledge you receive today. So I would look at growth hackers as an individual or a team of individuals being able to help make those micro decisions and gain as much knowledge as possible to make the best decision for today. Because if you make the wrong decision and you go left, you go like west, and you really meant to go east, you can catch it early on by two or three days off, right? Instead of saying by three months, you're way off. And so that impacts on the weather you're going to achieve by the end of the year. And if you're a startup, that can be a detrimental whether you survive or not. And the same thing goes with large companies. I think growth hacking is not just reserved for startups. And I know a lot of large companies like Fortune 500 to, you know, even if they're not Fortune 500, they can benefit a lot from being able to do growth hacking. But understand corporate isn't anything different. If you look at it, each of the departments, like their launching products is like a mini startup. The only difference is a large company has, you know, the big company that's funding everything. So each of the products that are with their own team is their own little mini startup itself. However, you can sometimes borrow people from other product departments, like other products that they're launching versus you being a startup, you're depending on the VCs or angel investors who are you're with. So if you have that mindset, like that growth hacker, you're actually helping steer the ship, which is a very 
powerful and also stressful position because you're making decisions and helping them make micro decisions to add up to your wins when you hit your three, six, and nine or 12 month. And so when people are looking at growth hacking, don't drop the word hack, hacker or hacking just because for the sake of thinking it's only marketing or social media or paid ads, or, you know, people hear growth engineers, what does that mean? Well, engineers have their own growth hacking as well. They have, you know, coding a certain way that speeds up the process of acquiring more customers or actually more retention, keeping them on longer, being able to have them refer more customers versus like them dropping off because, you know, there's a lot of bugs or, you know, the customer experience for a product you know, isn't heavily reliant on sales, that they actually can skip, skip the line and not talk to sales individuals or it's, you know, in the, or the product itself just makes you want to tell the whole world about this product. And therefore your customers become your marketing soldiers. So you have to think about all these loops where like, it's just there, you have built this platform and now that the platform is working hard for you and that you don't have to work hard for it. So that's how I would consider what a growth hacker is. So don't get misled in that growth hacking is only one facet. And a lot of people still say growth hacking is paid ads. Ask the person that you're hiring, the agency you're hiring, the individuals you're you're employing, are they addressing just one facet? What is it? And tell them what have they done. And if they only focus purely on marketing, that's fine. It's not a bad thing. But if you really need to be able to sail the ship in a way that hits certain margins, like if you want to hit millions to go to billions, you might want a growth hacker who actually has a breadth of knowledge of the whole ship. So not being blindsided by the fact that they're below deck and only looking at marketing. So growth hacker has bird's eye view, but also has ability to go below deck and then talk to the marketing team, make sure they're okay, and then go back up on deck, talk to the captain of the ship and making sure like other parts are working. So the best way I can describe it is like if you have marketing going at 65 miles per hour and then you have sales, not picking up the paddle all, and then you have engineering going at, you know, 10 miles per hour. And then you have, you know, customer success going 100 miles per hour. So if you really think about it, like if engineers is going slow and then sales is not picking up, and this is just, it's a scenario. I'm not picking any industry, like departments because sales is not doing anything. I'm just giving you a scenario. And that sales doesn't, you know, pick up the paddle and then engineers like maybe paddling backwards. And you have marketing going 65 miles per hour and you know, customer success is going 100 miles per hour. So you see people are canceling each other out. So guess what? No one's moving and that ship stands still. So all this time during those three months, nobody identified that this is not going to work. And that's is what growth hacking is and not to be so caught up and like just thinking it's one department. Yeah. So, so people that stay in their own lane and just mind their business and like, that's not my job, probably not the best growth hackers. Well, they're not, but maybe they weren't exposed to it. So a lot of people are still not understanding what it is because there's just so much content out there online that have a false definition. And I've just mentioned that Sean did, Sean Ellis did write with his business partner about his intention in the very beginning. So a lot of people get caught up in the fact like they're reading all this and they get attached to certain you know, thought leaders online and you know, they attach to that definition. But you want to go back in the fact that if you don't understand it, you know, be good at what you are doing and then 
find a growth hacker that actually is the compass and map to the captain of the ship. And normally those people who are very good as a growth hacker is because they were an entrepreneur and they don't all have to be an entrepreneur. Sometimes they have the, the way their brain works and their experience in other parts of their life have allowed them to be able to see the overview of the whole ship rather than just one department. And so being an entrepreneur doesn't mean you have to start a business, quite honestly. An entrepreneur means like you can do a side hustle kind of thing, but you understanding like if you don't do the work, then you're not going to produce the revenue, right? The skills of an entrepreneur is so powerful because you're not going to be in a situation where traditionally you need to be hired by a company and that is the only way of you paying your rent paying your bills, right? The moment that you are laid off or anything, you have the skills somebody wants to pay for because you make their life easier. It doesn't have to be your you know, service only, it could be a product. So the thing is making money is a skill, it's a learned skill. And having being an entrepreneur, it means you're gonna take ownership and see things not in a tunnel version, vision, but actually seeing the breadth of the whole house, the whole ship. Love it. I think the way that I've explained this in the past is to have that macro level view with the micro level execution and bringing it from, and I've heard other people describe it as having like the the outer space view with like the street by street GPS. We all seem to agree that you need to expand your mindset. Yes, Absolutely. But see, the thing is, how do you, a lot of people are in a situation that they are is because they are not aware that they don't understand it. So I think it is the job of the leader to be able to be one step ahead to understand how can they serve their people and cannot be in a way that reprimands these individuals and that they think that their employees or their, you know, hired consultants or agencies understand what they're talking about. You have to arm them with the tools that they need. And by doing so is to be able to expose them to how you want things to be done rather than saying, I want a million customers. Okay. Well, how do we get there? (laughs) Right. We all do. And, you know, sometimes they're unrealistic. And the thing is being a leader or the captain of the ship, even if you're not a captain, you know, for that day, I think it's really that responsibility of a leader, the visionary who sets up the tone of guiding the entire business, because everyone looks at the leader. Like if you are, you know, saying it this direction and you're veto everybody, you're going to be the one steering the ship in the wrong direction. So I always have my rule of thumb is that if your company fails, it's not the fault of your team. It's always the CEO and the founder, whoever the leaders are. It doesn't always have to be CEO only. It could be a combination of the C-level or whoever it is, but it's always the fault of the leader. And if the team does a great job, many times they're overlooked in the media, but it is the win for the team. And of course the CEO, but you know, you can't do things alone. And that is the whole point of growth hacking is to have things cohesively done together. And people are missing that. And they always think it's like, oh yeah, marketing's not doing this. So we're going to cut their budget. Well, maybe you weren't assisting them and helping them. Or if your team member isn't saying, I'm staying in my own lane, this is all they know. And it's because they weren't exposed to anything else. Like, you know, like giving, if you're like, let's say a baby never got candy in their life, they wouldn't know what it is. You have to expose them to candy. And all of a sudden like, whoa, this is candy. I don't want any vegetables anymore. Right. But then you need to have a balance of both. 
So it's like a medium of some vegetables, some candy. But if they live their life only eating vegetables and never having candy, they're staying in their own lane in the veggies, just eating veggies. So that's what I mean by like you being the leader, small or mid or large companies, you have the ability to expose and train and discuss what you want and the limitations of the skill sets that your team has. Everybody has limitations, certain skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. So part of what you mentioned as far as like growth hacking is not just the skills that the individual contributor has, but the skills that the leader has enabling and placing the right talent into those positions and then giving them framework and opportunity to help the whole team in different departments move the ship forward. Yes. Great. And you've done this so many times. What is... You know, you also in the past when we've talked about this, you've mentioned that this is very industry agnostic. And I agree, especially based on what you just said. So what are some ways that you help organizations achieve these goals? And how is it industry agnostic? Like how how does that roll into growth hacking? I think growth hacking is, I mean, I'm, I'm industry agnostic. Not every individual is, but I do believe if you look at growth hacking, it is industry agnostic pretty much because what is the definition of growth hacking, right? Hacking ways to grow a business and hacking, don't be scared of that because people always think it's a a scam or anything. But if you hear about life hacks, everyone's like, oh, all ears up. How do you make it more efficient to tie my shoelace or how do I, you know, clean my floors faster, you know, and it's basically ways to make it more efficient with the limited resources you have with maximum impact, right? Maximum results. So, I look at growth hacking is doing two things. And this is my definition. This is what I do. I focus on two things really well, which is one, get a lot of customers and two, increase revenue. These are the two things that what growth hackers do. And not all our growth hackers are equally made, but with the definition I've described is that you focus on those two things. Now, because people are so locked into the traditional mindset of thinking, oh, how many years of experience you've been in fintech? How many years of experience you've been in e-commerce? It's not about the industry. It is about what you are trying to achieve. You want more customers and revenue? I don't think there's any one industry says, nope, don't want customers, don't want revenue. And quite honestly, if you don't want revenue or customers at this point, it's a hobby, right? So you don't need a growth hacker for a hobby. So what I'm trying to point out is that if you hire people or you actually look at why you need a growth hacker, look at their specialty, what they do. Everybody has their air sweet spot and stuff like that, right? And I mentioned to you, like being an entrepreneur allows you to have experience of every single department. You're seeing it as a ship, not just a broad view and just macro level and saying, oh, I've seen it, I'm looking and as an observer because you worked at a large company or even at a small company, you're an observer rather than actually doing it. It's the moment when you put money up front or your time and resources that you start really like, oh my God, I better sell this ship because now I have this little, maybe a, a little rowboat, okay? Maybe you don't have a Queen Mary, but you know, you can't sink. You can't sink. So you're going to be like, I'm, I'm my own marketer. I am my own person who does product. If I don't have engineering, I'm going to hire an engineer person, but I know how to manage them. So you start gaining these skills. This is what it is. This experiences is what you gain over time 
to allow you to prevent you from, it prevents you from getting blind spots. And this is what growth hacking is. And in the respect of that is industry agnostic, because you only want customers and revenue. And how do you get more of that in a short amount of time that is more efficient without minimizing quality, but then getting maximum results. Right. And what my brain first goes to customers, 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 right? Because if you don't understand them, you know, how do you get any business from them? Right. So in your, your current project, I'm just going to kind of like bring this forward now, because you, you have a really exciting current project that you're talking about. And you were telling me how you're using your go-to-market strategy and how you got it to resonate with your target market. So you could get those customers, you could get that revenue. And so what's that kind of looking like right now? Okay. So a lot of, uh, some of my clients and also, you know, whether I go in as an employee or I am a fractional chief growth officer or a consultant or advisor, whatever the names are, basically when I work with a company, there are fears. Everyone has fears. That's part of human nature, right? So a lot of the times that they don't see it and I would refer to some of the things that I've done, but it's not going to be the same because they're thinking like, oh, that happened like before COVID or that happened in a different industry. But then I mentioned it's industry agnostic. But because of that, I normally like, you know, sharpen my skills even further. And I also wanted to show proof of concept. What I do, what I did is that I la- I am about to launch a, another business, but it's in e-commerce and because it happens to be a client that was a little fearful of certain aspects of the growth hacking that I was doing. I have zero social media on them. Obviously, I've spoken to some individuals who are like, oh, you don't have any followers on social media. You're not going to be able to sell any of this stuff. Just because someone's lack of vision or inability to understand doesn't mean it's wrong, okay? So I think it's really important that people don't get deterred and listen to other individuals just because they have many years more than you and they say, oh, you need to start out with a lot of followers. Now, if you listen to that person, you're going to end up like focusing so much on creating more Instagram you know, posts and get more followers and you're not going to launch. So the thing is, there are some bad advice from individuals that are not, you know, right for you. And it might be a good advice for somebody else, right? That has that skill set and who loves posting and all that stuff. But that is not what, it shouldn't be the only way of doing things. So just like one plus one is two, but three minus one is also two, right? Four minus two is two. So there's different ways to arrive to the number two without actually feeling like this is the only path. So I think it's really important that, you know, when I do these little proof of concept and all that stuff, and I actually try new things that it hasn't been done. So that's why you hear all these stories like, oh my God, like, you know, the legacy growth hack from Hotmail. They put a little thing like, if you want a free Hotmail or a Gmail, you can invite somebody and get that, you know, red velvet rope entrance, right? You have to get an invitation. So you can do that, but like that's been done already. So I like to try new things. And if I do it on my own, then I can be able to have a little more leeway on that. And turns out like if there's a positive out of it, I launched a new business and everything I do always has a nonprofit kind of cause to it, something that benefits to other individuals. I think so many people just try to create so much revenue and we end up having, you know, that epiphany where you're just like that endorphin high where you're like, we're making so much revenue, but how much you make, you can always make more. So everything you do, you should always give back to some type of underprivileged group 
or individuals or anything to help the world because that's the way the world works. Someone helped you to get to where you are. So you need to help others who are not going to be able to get to where you are. You got to throw down that ladder and help them. And even if you give that amount, you can make more than that. And if you make more, you can give more. And that's the way I think humanity is because at the end of the day, we talk about business a lot, but it's literally helping each other grow and have a sense of purpose in this world. It's not just about getting as much revenue so that you bring it home until you're like, you know, expire. Yeah. And I think that's great. We're going to leave that as your our kind of final note in this. And, and I think because it's such a strong take home message is that, you know, while you're growth hacking, while you're looking for strategies is make sure that you're still human throughout all of it. If someone wants to get a hold of you, they can look for you, Carol Tran. And you're also going to launch a course soon. So I think that people would really do well to look into her and look into her offerings and maybe get in touch with her. You mentioned that you're active on LinkedIn and lots of different ways. Is there an email where you would like someone to reach out to you at? Yes. You can contact me at Carol, my first name at caroltran.com. And, uh, you know, if I don't respond right away, your email will be responded. So reach out if you have any questions just in general, because that's the way the world works. If you know you're unclear about something, feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to answer them and help you in some way. Thank you so much for joining my podcast. I've loved talking to you and we'll probably end up recording again soon. So thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Marketgy, the science of marketing strategy. If any of the strategies we talked about today inspired you to learn more, try them. Remember, the perfect strategy doesn't exist, only the one that gets done. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player to make sure that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time.